Welcome in to the newest edition of the Justin Time Sports Podcast. I am your host, Justin Jackson. And this week's episode, we'll be talking about the NBA playoffs along with some postseason or post, yeah, some postseason awards. We'll be talking about the NFL, what's going down there, and we will have our best for last. Now, as always, don't forget to follow the social media handle at JTime Sports. That is on TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And do not forget to like, rate, subscribe, and tell your friends about the Justin Time Sports Podcast on iTunes and Spotify. Now, I hope you guys sit back and get ready to learn something. Welcome into the show. We have an absolutely packed show today, a two sports show today, primarily. We got the NBA, of course, as they are now in the playoffs after a very, very exciting play in. And of course, we'll have the NFL a little later. The NFL never sleeps. Uh, big news broke right before I started recording this show. Uh, Denzel Ward agreeing to a massive extension of uh, the biggest um, extension in the um nfl for a corner ever he gets 71 and a half million dollars of course i mean like i said we'll talk about this a little later um 100 million dollar cornerback 71 and a half million dollars uh fully uh fully guaranteed uh, of course we'll dive into it a little later what it means for guys like Jalen ramsey what it means for others and Jalen ramsey actually just tweeted out a congratulatory congratulatory tweet excuse me that says, I've been waiting on somebody else to touch that $100 million club, and you definitely deserve it at Denzel Ward. Uh, he threw an ellipses there. Congrats with the I love you um, hand sign emoji. So, Ramsey is the guy I think in total value he has the most, but guaranteed money Denzel Ward is the most now. Would Jalen Ramsey ever be released? No. So, ultimately, he'll get his money, and he'll hit his incentives as well. Um, but it is a little bit different all in all with Denzel Ward. But again, we'll dive into that during the NFL segment. We're going to start off, of course, with a small recap of the play-in tournament. Every year, the play-in tournament gets better. It was thrown in. Uh, there's conspiracy theories for multiple reasons. The official statement was basically the NFL needs 70 games in order for the TV contracts to matter. That's the reason why in the bubble they played the warm-up games that didn't count because those counted towards that 70 game count. It was it was product on TV. Well, the playing tournament was originally thrown in in order to, like I said, officially, because there were 12 less games, it would give those teams within a couple of games of eighth, or in theory, a few games of eighth, the opportunity to what would happen if those games were to be played, would you catch them, are you the better team in actuality, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, there's a, now there was a, a rampant conspiracy theory that, in fact, the playing tournament was designed to get Zion Williamson in the playoffs. Because at that point, he was the only big name superstar um, that was not in the playoffs. You don't, you, you know, you had, of course, LeBron was in. All of a they win a championship. Um, Kawhi Leonard was in. Paul George was in. Anthony Davis was in. Dame Lillard roars in um, using the, using the playing tournament. 
in the in the warm up games. Um, you know, Tatum and his crew in Boston. You know, Jokic. Everyone was in, but Zion Williamson, the league's new fresh face, was not in the playing tournament. Was not in the playoffs yet. So there's a conspiracy running rampant. It's been that way for a few years now that the NBA instituted the playing tournament specifically to try to give the New Orleans Pelicans, at the time coached by Alvin Gentry, um, to get in the playing tournament. Ultimately, did not work. Zion Williamson shot about a shape, looked like uncut. It just—it was a disaster. The Pelicans fell even further out, and ultimately, if that was the plan, it did not work. Fast forward to today, the playing tournament is a vital part of the NBA season. So now, I remember growing up, you were looking at eighth your whole life. You know, you were looking. Okay, what team is eighth? Cool. Who's seven? Because seven get okay. Seven start fall back. Cool. Nine is the team you look at. Ten was a possible. So there's a 12 game or a six game gap with 10 remaining. You pretty much rule 10 out, you know. But now 10 is the spot. 10 is the golden spot because regardless of record, seeds seven through 10 will play in a playing tournament. I mean, for I mean, if you're eight, you get double elimination. Along with the fact that if you're seven, you also get that same double elimination. What I mean by that is you got to lose twice. Um, you get the advantage of not only you're playing for the seven seed, you get you get the advantage of man, I could blow this first one versus a really good team and presumably play a worse team the second time with an opportunity to save my season. Um But if you're nine through ten, you only can get as high as eight, and you are a single elimination. If you lose either one of the games, you will not make the playoffs. And so it adds drama to it every year. The East I felt like was deserving of it, the West not so much. And not even particularly the entire West. I feel like the Timberwolves shouldn't have had to deal with it. They were six, seven games up from eighth. And the fact that they're even in a situation where they could have been out of the playoffs is mind-blowing. I mean, they handled their business. They threw the biggest damn celebration I've ever seen for a play-in game in my life. Um, but they went out against the Clippers, and they handled their business. They got it done. And so they moved on to the playoffs of the seventh seed. And then the Western uh, playing games, the Pelicans won both games they needed to win. Um, they defeated both teams they were playing by first taking down the San Antonio Spurs in New Orleans and then going on the road versus the Los Angeles Clippers. Now, the Clippers were going into the game shorthanded, as always, because no Kawhi Leonard. But they're going into the game really shorthanded because the morning of the playing game, Paul George tested positive for COVID, therefore entered health and safety protocols. And therefore was not eligible to play in the playing game against New Orleans. A uh, break for the Pelicans there. Hey, I'm a Pelicans fan, so I want to win basketball games, but I also want to beat teams healthy. Um, Paul George is not healthy. Feeling symptoms, obviously, so that's why he decided to get tested. Kudos to him for doing that. I'm not sure many people on this planet would. Um, I would definitely have to consider it, and I wonder if he considered it. Be like, yo, I'll play this game, and then if we win... That will, you know, we'll figure it out from there in terms of get tested, quarantine, etc. But ultimately, I think he was looking out not only for his opponent, but for his own guys. You know, like, yeah, the opponent's going to have to get close to you when they're guarding you. Yeah, they're going to have to get close to you in a lot of situations. But your own your own guys, every time you huddle, every time you get in the locker room, every time you do anything, you're now spreading COVID in that, in that area. So... That could have been the ultimate motivation that he didn't want to get any of his guys sick. That's the reason why you go in and get tested into professional sports league is to not get any of your guys sick. Because, yeah, your body may be able to fight it off, maybe be able to ward it off, but you don't know what the next guy's body is going to do. So 
kudos to Paul George for going to get checked out. Unfortunately, it cost it may have cost the Clippers a chance at the playoffs. Um, but we will definitely see the Clippers again as they should roar into next season fully healthy, Kawhi being back, and Paul George uh, with the offseason to recover. But the other uh, the other side of the play-in was very interesting. So Atlanta blows out Cleveland in the 9-10 matchup. Absolutely destroys them. Um, or in the 8-9 matchup, I say. Cleveland, yeah, Cleveland blows out Charlotte in the 9-10 matchup. Absolutely destroys Charlotte. It wasn't even close. Um, it got to the it, it was so bad it spurned LaMelo Ball rumors out of there. Like it was absolutely vicious. That's how you know that's how you know L is bad. Anytime teams people are trying to get you to LA, it is it is it is imperative you are doing really bad. It is apparent rather you are doing really bad. Now, in a situation that the Hawks were in, yes, you can destroy the Hornets game one. But if you go get destroyed in game two, your season's also off or not. So they go play game two, um, and and they play it. They play this game two against the Cavs. Now the Cavs had just lost a hard, heartfelt battle to the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, the Nets ended up just having too much star power for them, um, and so the Nets ultimately beat the, the Cavs. Um, just too much, too much, too much eliteness, too much Kevin Durant, too much Kyrie. You know, DeAndre Jordan had a pretty good game, but then Cleveland faced off Atlanta. You know, the battle of the young point guards, as dubbed by LeBron. Um, you have on one side, you have Trey Young. On the other side, you have Darius Garland, and so these guys went at it. Trey Young started off slow. Uh, was able to shake into it though. Scored like 20 in one of the second half quarters. Absolutely spectacular game from him. Once he got it going. Um, and for Cleveland, kind of played over their skis for most of the season. They kind of played over their skis in this game. Lloyd Marketing and knocking down three after three after three. Um, it was just an absolute onslaught of offensive ability early by the Cleveland Cavaliers. And then the Hawks were able to ratchet down the defense, pin down some players and was able to poke the ball out and to create a lot of turnover and to get the Atlanta Hawks into the play in. But, or into the playoffs rather. But what happens when you get the playoffs? You draw the number one seed. So out east, the playoff matchups are as follows. Number one, Miami Heat versus the number eight Atlanta Hawks. Number two, Boston Celtics versus the number three, Brooklyn Nets. Uh, no, no, three number seven Brooklyn Nets. My apologies. Number three Milwaukee Bucks are going against the six C Chicago Bulls, and the four C Philadelphia 76ers is going against the five C Toronto Raptors. All series in the East are up one zero. Favorite favorite teams are all up one zero in the East. So at the moment, not a lot of drama out East. Um, Heat in Atlanta. That was a that was a defensive masterpiece. You got the Atlanta Hawks. Trey Young shoot one for twelve. Uh, Bogdanovich goes zero for seven. It was absolutely brutal defensive performance. Duncan Robinson eight for nine from three. Absolutely spectacular performance by the Heat. Uh, but what do you expect? It's Miami. It's the Heat culture. It's Eric Spolstra, who is I mean, him and Udonis Haslam are the last of the Heatles, which is the LeBron, Wade, and Bosch era. 
but Pat Riley's still upstairs. Mickey Erickson still owns the team. Eric Spolster still coaching the team. And, of course, you have, like I said, that Miami Heat culture that will never, ever go away because it's just it's just in their DNA now. And so those guys know, all right, it's the playoffs. All that regular season squabble with Jimmy doesn't matter. All that nonsense where Tyler Hero was trying to figure out his money and Duncan Robinson and trying to get minutes for everybody. And now you got this new guy, Strauss, starting to get some minutes and None of that matters because now it's time to win playoff basketball games. And this team was in the championship. They were in the finals. They lost to the Lakers in that bubble championship two finals ago. Um, so a lot of these guys on the team were, were I mean, Hero was a baby. Robinson was a baby. Um, Butler had just arrived. You know, a lot of a lot of the culture of this unit wasn't necessarily set when the Heat arrived two years ago into the finals. Now they're gonna try and go from the one seed this time, and they're up and they're doing a hell of a job and getting a hell of a start defensively with the way, like I said, Trey Young won for 12, didn't make a three, uh, eight points, and then Bogdan Bogdanovich um, going 0 for seven did not help at all. So there is plenty to uh, talk about in this game. Uh, mostly, admittedly, mostly Heat highlights. Atlanta looked completely inept. Um, Kudos to the Miami Heat for a dominant victory. Milwaukee and Chicago was a surprisingly good game. Um, at points, at certain points, it looked like the Milwaukee Bucks were going to completely run away and hide from the Chicago Bulls, but the Bulls battled, the Bulls scrapped. They kept coming and they kept fighting. Ultimately, they um, made it a game. And at one point, they took the lead. Late in the fourth quarter. This game felt like a 90s basketball game. We always hear those 90 playoff games. A lot of missed shots. A lot of physicality. And no one hits 100. And that's what happened in this game. It was the Milwaukee Bucks ultimately winning um, 99-93. But it's just what a basketball game. Giannis came to play 26-17 um, in the Bulls. The Bulls missed a lot of shots. Uh, DeMar DeRozan, with the, I believe, was 6 of 25. Uh, Zach Levine, I believe, was 6 of 19. Um, Nikola Vucevic shot a ton of threes, missed a ton of threes. He played inefficiently as well. Alice Caruso on defense kept them in this game, especially down the stretch. But ultimately, the Bucks was a little bit too much, a little bit too much talent. And so, ultimately... The Bucks were able to take away uh, game one from Chicago and pretty much, in my opinion, shut down Chicago's chance of winning a game. Because right now, if I had a predicting it, Miami's going to sweep. Milwaukee's going to sweep. I think that was Chicago's best opportunity to win the game, but they did not do that. And so I believe that Milwaukee is going to sweep. Speaking of another sweep, Philadelphia 76ers are playing the Toronto Raptors. Um, Joel Embiid pretty much tells you that his game was going to go. And how did he do that? When well, he said that as soon as he catches it, they do a double, a triple team. Because the Raptors basically, I don't think the Raptors have a center on their roster. And if they do, it is not one they trust. And so, that being the case, you've playing the best or second best big, depending on who you ask. Um, in the league, without a true center, you're going to get absolutely annihilated, absolutely dominated. Because you're going to have to depend on doubles or triples in order to succeed. 
and Joel and B knowing they're coming and the shooters knowing they're coming are gonna have their hands ready and they're going to be catching passes from all over the place. And so with that being the case, the Raptors have no chance. Now they're getting beat up. Uh, Scotty Barnes is out. Um, several other players are near out, you know, doubtful for the game. They're down, they're gonna be down, they could be down their top three players. This is going to absolutely be quick. Um, in my opinion, it's Philly in a quick four. And then the game of the day, uh, the Boston all game of the day and ultimately the game of the series, the Boston Celtics and the Brooklyn Nets. Now this game ended with a Jason Tatum buzzer beater. It had Kevin Durant being awfully inefficient, shooting nine to 24. Um, and Kyrie Irving being awfully efficient. Um, in his game, given an A-plus effort. But the storyline from the game has, has been two things. Um, the first thing being the difference between uh, the Boston Celtics coaching staff and the Brooklyn Nets coaching staff. Neither team called timeout down the stretch. And one team looked like they called a timeout after every possession. And that was the Boston Celtics. They knew, okay, especially let's, let's take it on the minute left. They knew, okay, we're down three. We're not gonna hunt a three. We're gonna get a quick two. We're gonna, we're gonna get a two. We're gonna get a two. Whatever the first available shot is. Now I'm sure they'd have got a wide open three from Tatum. They take it. Wide open three from Brown, they take it. But they're not gonna run and shoot contested threes because they're thinking, okay, we gotta get a three off. They were down three. They went and got a quick two. It did not matter. Um, regardless of anything else, they went and got their two. So now they're down one. They immediately knew. I don't mean immediately knew. We're gonna play this defensively. They, you know, some teams make the shot and then they start walking to the bench because the timeout's coming. Nobody on Boston walked to the bench because they knew, okay, we're gonna we're gonna d them up here. We're not gonna foul. We're not gonna do any of that. We're going to d them up here and we're going to force a stop. Ultimately, they do that. Uh, Kevin Durant misses a very tough shot, and then they come down. They it looked like they ran a play. I mean, it's a couple of crisp passes. It ultimately ended up Marcus Smart. Step through pass is a spitting Jason Tatum who lays the ball in off the glass. So the coaching difference uh, between Boston's coach and Steve Nash looks like it's the Grand Canyon. Uh, Boston, like I said, knew exactly what to do when they were supposed to do it. Brooklyn was scrambling. You know, in the last play, Karen Durant and Kyrie Irving watched um, as Tatum laid the ball up. So definitely something that the team, that the Nets, has to correct. As for the second storyline, I think the bigger storyline, Kyrie Irving versus the Boston crowd. Now, Boston's crowds have been notoriously rough on visiting players, especially scorned visiting players. So Kyrie has decided to, and I quote, have that same energy for them, end quote, when they start saying things to him. So when they start saying stuff out of his name, uh, I won't use the profanity he used at the post press conference, but some B's and MF's and etc. When you decide to return that back to them, you're going to face the fine number one. But number two, it could be very distracting. The only thing is, though, we don't know what to strike Kyrie Irving because he was going at it with the fans and the more they jarred at him and the more they jeered him, the more he was able to put the ball in the hole. So if I am the opposing crowd, if I am a Celtics player, I'm telling the fans to be quiet and Kyrie got the ball. Because the silence is definitely louder than your noise. 
because you have decided to heckle this man to where Kyrie is flipping you off, uh, saying insensitive things. Again, I won't repeat on this podcast, but Kyrie's flipping you off one and then a double, and and he's doing all of this after making shots. So if I'm a Celtics fan, I'm sending out a memo: do not block Kyrie's shot. Don't even touch it, um, because. It could be dealing with a confidence boost. Now, ultimately, I believe that the Brooklyn Nets will win this game. I had them winning it in six, and I had them losing game one. So that's not overtly surprising. I did have them losing game one. Um, game two and three, maybe even game two, three, and four um, will ultimately decide. I mean, will, to me, will be the games that the Nets will use to streak, but you never know. Um, Game five would be hard if you need a game. So if you need a game, trying to win game five back in Boston, first thing I've already dropped the first one in Boston, is going to be very, very difficult uh, for the Nets to do. Like I said, three, two, three, and four, win knuckles, go back to Boston, up 3-1. You can lose game five, go back to Barclays, win game six, and you move on to the next round. Um, but that game was absolutely insane. Kudos to Kyrie Irving for for staying ten, staying ten toes down, and you know he's gonna stick with it because he rolled out the quarantine um, mandates until those were lifted. So I believe he's gonna stick to this at least for Boston while he's in that crowd because he feels there's a special level of vitriol coming his way. Out west. Uh, we have the one seed Suns with a 1-0 lead over the Pelicans. The two seed Grizzlies are down 0-1 against Timberwolves. The three seed Warriors are up 1-0 against the Nuggets. And the four seed Mavs are down 0-1 to the Jazz. Now, just a few notes on these games. Um, we watch the Pelicans and Suns. Pelicans were getting absolutely hornswoggled. And then they fought their way back. Um, they were down, I believe, 18 or 20. And then they clawed their way all the way back down to a six-point lead a couple of times in late in the second half. But Chris Paul was just too good. Uh, Chris Paul was too good in this game. You Sometimes you run into guys where nothing you can do. They play everything they could play. Uh, Chris was smiling at his post-game podium, stating that he loves Willie. He knows Willie. So Willie Green, head coach of the Pelicans, was the lead assistant um he was sorry. He was the lead assistant for the Suns the past couple of years, um, and my, him and Monty Williams really love each other. I believe, I believe Willie Green and Chris Paul played together in New Orleans um, during Willie Green's stint uh, in New Orleans. He had several teams, but he always said he liked New Orleans, and it is a much, much uh, difficult. A much more different looking series, rather, for the Suns than the Pelicans. So, if I'm the Pelicans organization, I'm telling my team, great first game. Real talk, great first game. Because you they continue to exemplify the mindset and the mentality that they're going to need if they're going to try to defeat a Phoenix Suns team led by Chris Paul, like I said, who was just too good. He went berserk in the fourth quarter. The Pelicans shot about as bad as you can shoot it and lost by 11. Against the number one overall seed on the road with a lot of guys first time in the playoffs. And they won by, and they lost by 11. You get Jonas Valanciunas, who at one point was 
like one for ten in the the team was one for ten at a certain point in the paint. Um, Brandon Ingram shot absolutely terrible. T.J. McCollum shot pretty rough. Uh, at least it felt that way. Jonas Valanciunas did shoot pretty rough. So considering a lot of those guys, Trey Murphy was airballing the rim. A lot of those guys, that was our first playoff game. They just come off the biggest win in the organization in four seasons at minimum. So a lot of those guys are feeling a lot of jubilation, a lot of relief, and a lot of pressure. You know, national TV, first playoff game, number one overall seed in the league, uh, a 64-win Suns team who fresh off the finals appearance trying to get back and actually win it this time. So there was a lot going into that game, and they played like, well, there was a lot of youth on the floor. Um, so I expect the Pelicans to play a little better. Do I think they get swept before the series? I would have said, yeah, I give them one game now because it's just it feels like they're going to get a game. It feels like game three, game four, they are going to have a great shooting night and win this series. Um, by the way, DeAndre Aiden being an unrestricted free agent, Phoenix better capitalize on him in the offseason because someone's going to pay him a lot of money. And if I'm a Western Conference opponent, um, you say – Dallas, um, I would have said New Orleans, but they don't really need them. Not with John the Valanciunas, although we can send Valanciunas back if necessary. Um, Lakers don't have a big in the middle. Clippers don't have a big in the middle. So for a lot of these, Brooklyn doesn't have anybody. I don't know how they're fitting him under the cap, but Brooklyn doesn't have anybody in the middle. So for a lot of these teams, Boston, we were talking about. I mean, Robert Williams is good, but he's not DeAndre Ayton. We routinely talk about. Uh, these good teams, a lot of times they're missing bigs. So, someone's going to give Aiden the bag. I wonder what um, Phoenix will do. Grizzlies and the Timberwolves definitely took the cake for the most interesting game out west um, because the Timberwolves are playing with a youthful ignorance. Um, what does that mean, Justin? What that means is they don't know what they don't know. Cats never had playoff runs. This is Anthony Edwards' first playoff run. Delos never really had playoff runs. Their head coach, as a head coach, never really had playoff runs. So they are finding out what they don't know in terms of stuff happening um, around them. So the Timberwolves don't know you're supposed to be nervous. The Timberwolves don't know you're not supposed to be here. Like it's like they don't they, they don't know they don't care. Um, Memphis got in the foul trouble early, which kind of threw off the big man rotation with a lot of Connor the Towns to get off. And when Cat got off, he immediately um, got Anthony Edwards off as well. So they played a very good two-man game. Add in, uh, they had other productive scores. I believe they had six players over double figures. And so great team win by the Minnesota Timberwolves. For the Grizzlies, you got to get your life together, man. You've got to figure something out in regards to, okay, Josh Ja. But who's going to be that second guy? You got in foul trouble early. Is it Desmond Bain? I mean, who's going to be Jaron Jackson Jr.? Who's going to be the second guy that, okay, John Morant's having a difficult game. We're going to pass it to X, and X is going to create space on his own or create a driving lane to then play off that driving lane either by finish and or pass. So, they're going to have to figure something out. That Grizzlies team is tough. They're scrappy, but Minnesota's just tough. Just as tough, just scrappy. And they've got Patrick Beverly, who's the ultimate head butt scratch nuisance. Um, and that's the perfect way I can describe that series so far. 
Warriors and Nuggets, the battle of the MVPs. Um, I have a stuff with two Jokic with, in my opinion, soon to be two. Um, but they went at Jokic in a different way. He really kept his assist down. Uh, he did not play well at all. For the Warriors, you keep highlighting Jordan Poole. Um, you keep bringing Jordan Poole up. You keep bringing Jordan Poole up. Eventually, a guy like Klay Thompson may say, you know what? Bump this. I'm out. Um, trade me to fill in the blank here. So, that is something that the Warriors are playing with every single day. Is elevating the mindset of Klay Thompson. And along with... Uh, Jordan Pools. Jordan Poole has to be elevated to a level where he feels comfortable and where he feels like he can go do what he got to do, which I believe he's at that point now, just from what I've been watching him play this year. But they're going to have to continue to elevate him, continue to make sure he feels as if he is one of one. Um, or not one of one, but a very, very important piece to the Warriors puzzle. And then lastly, the Mavs and the Jazz. Uh, no Luka. Big problems for Dallas. Um, Rudy Gobert is there. Donovan Mitchell's playing pretty decent. Uh, not gonna spend a whole lot of time on this one. No Luka, no issue uh, for the Utah Jazz. Pretty much nailing Coffin in this series. Luka's doubtful for game two, which means the uh, likelihood that um, Dallas wins game two is well, doubtful, well, doubtful really. Um, and so we're gonna just keep moving with this series. I mean, no real reporting here. No Luca is pretty much over. And so we're going to transition into award season. Um, so the NBA NBA announced their finalists for the awards. And so now we're gonna break down. I'm gonna pick my winners with the awards. I know I didn't know who some of the finalists are gonna be. Maybe they might have swayed my opinion. Um, but we're definitely gonna take a look at that now. So for MVP. The finalists are the Milwaukee Bucks' Giannis Antetokounmpo, the Philadelphia 76ers, Joel Embiid, and the Denver Nuggets' Yo- Nikola Jokic. I'm going to say Yoel or something. Uh, Nikola Jokic. Now, this is a very interesting MVP race because like I spoke about last week, these guys are all big men. I believe the shortest one out of the group is Giannis, and he's 6'11". Uh, he's all big guys, traditional bigs. Uh, well, not necessarily traditional, but all big guys, guys that don't de- depend on the sh- uh, three-point shot. Now these fancy ball handlers, it is three seven-footers. Um, absolutely spectacular um, what those guys will ever do in the paint. Rookie of the year has three uh, finalists as well. All the awards have three finalists as well. Toronto Raptors, Scotty Barnes, the Detroit Pistons, Kay Cunningham. And representing the Cleveland Cavaliers, Evan Mobley. Now, I'm going to pick Scotty Barnes here. Um, really good player. Or a really good player. He's a really good player for the Toronto Raptors. And they found a Pascal Siakam with legitimate talent. I mean, Siakam's fine. But he's not what you would want a guy um, making that kind of money to have. But he can develop into a really nice player. But, um, man, it is... A lot what Scotty Barnes was asked to do. Uh, this wasn't, you know, I mean, Jokic asked to do a lot too. Um, for the MVP of Denver, Scotty Barnes asked to do a lot that the others simply do not have on their plate. Um, it does not shock me at all that us three, uh, those three being Scotty, Cade, and Mobley, are 
the rookie finalists because those are the three best rookies by far. Um, but it feels weird giving an individual award to somebody in Toronto. It just does. It just does. Six man of the year, we got Miami Heat's Tyler Hero, Phoenix Suns' Cam Johnson, and Cleveland Cavaliers again, Kevin Love. Now, in this one, I picked Tyler Hero. I didn't even know the rest of the finalists. I didn't even know the rest of the finalists, but that was my pick uh, from the very beginning of the season was Tyler Hero. Or not beginning of the season, but last week was Tyler Hero. So I'm going to stick with that. Defensive player of the year, we've got Phoenix Suns wing, Mikael Bridges. We have Utah Jazz big man, Rudy Gobert. And we have Mark, and we have Marcus Smart of the Boston Celtics. And that is who I'm going with to win the uh, defensive player of the year for the NBA. I've got Mr. Smart. Uh, Doris Berkman have changed some minds on him when she did her rant about him. But we're definitely going to see about that. Most improved player. Uh, this list upset me. But there's Darius Garland of the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, John Morant of the Memphis Grizzlies. And DeJounte Murray of the San Antonio Spurs. Here's why this list upset me. First of all, why is Kyrie up here? He's a future number two overall pick. Period. He, he, he the only person to pick behind what's supposed to be another surefire thing is Zion Williamson. How can he be most improved when he played a really good season last year? So I think they just threw him in there, which if they threw him in there, they could have easily, and I do mean easily, put well, uh, put more deserving guys in, in there, a la Jordan Poole, um, and see if uh, he were to win the award. I believe that he would have a lot of momentum on the day of. I believe he had a lot of momentum in the voting process if it was a Jordan Poole. But in this DPOI, I have, or in this MIP, I'm sorry, I have Darius Garland. And then Coach of the Year, we have Taylor Jenkins of the Memphis Grizzlies, Monty Williams of the Phoenix Suns, and Eric Spolstra of the Miami Heat. I've got Taylor Jenkins and the Memphis Grizzlies because they were able to go 22 games, uh, 21 and one, something like that, uh, without Paul George or Kawhi Leonard. And that takes a lot of coaching. It takes a lot of buy-in from your team as well um, in order to do that as well as they were able to do it. So just to recap, oh, and for Coach of the Year, they have Taylor Jenkins of the Grizzlies. 21 and two without Ja, that, that's their Coach of the Year. So just to recap, MVP, Nikola Jokic, Rookie of the Year, Scotty Barnes, Rookie of the Year. Uh, taking a look at Tyler Hero for Sixth Man of the Year, Marcus Smart, or anybody else with a pulse. Um, up for Defensive Player of the Year, Most Improved is Darius Garland, and then last the Coach of the Year is Taylor Jenkins. But up next, we're going to shift to the NFL and talk about what's going down there. the show the nfl the league that never stops 
and we talked about this in the open it actually works out very well now because i went into this uh when i planned to show out this morning i i went into it and i said man we're gonna do some contract drama the nfl seems to be the league that never sleeps these days and so i woke up to adam Schefter uh dropping bombs about some contract stuff and then of course i had already reported on some kyler stuff earlier in the week um so i'm like all right we're gonna do contract drama just you know fan out what's going on and then right before i started recording like i tell you like i said um you know i'm reporting that the cleveland browns and denzel ward have agreed on a five-year contract extension worth 100.5 million dollars um and it has 71.25 million guaranteed which makes him the highest paid corner in the league um and this is done, you know, thinking of high every corner because of the guaranteed money. So he is guaranteed $71.25 million. He can fall off the face of the earth in terms of talent tomorrow. And the Cleveland Browns owe him $71 million. He's set for life. He is a generationally set player. And get this, he's 24. And he's only in the con he's on the contract for six years. So in theory, he gets to 28, 29. That contract and that guaranteed money runs out. He can go back to the table trying a three or a four year contract extension with a lot of more guaranteed money especially if his level of play keeps up and could guarantee himself 110 120 million dollars playing corner um and retire at age 33 with 120 million dollars in the bank potentially um so it's very smart of him to have already gotten this deal done because like i said it's a six-year deal basically so he's 24 now he'll be 30 at the expiration of it more likely he renegotiates around he's 28 and renegotiates probably to get a deal to he's 33 34 retires from that deal and walks away from the sport um but again with 100 million dollars in the bank so good for him good for denzel ward um a lot of young talent in that cleveland brown secondary uh there's denzel ward there's greedy williams um so there's a couple of john johnson from the rams not not particularly young young not as young as those two but not an ancient player by any means and so there's a lot of young talent on that cleveland brown secondary um, could, could lead to bust due to the youth, but they are a pretty, pretty good unit, all things considered. But in the other contract drama around the NFL, we're going to start off with the old and come to the new. So Kyler Murray and Arizona Cardinals are going to stalemate. And I saw offhand report about how what would Kyler's life be like if he chose baseball? And well, in the basically the article was saying he probably is in the majors already. Um, cause think about it, this is his third year in the NFL. Yeah, it's his third year in the NFL. Well, because he was going to be the number, he was, I'm sorry, not going to be, he was the number four overall pick in the draft with pretty much MLB level, major league level fielding and stuff. They, he was going to be in the majors pretty much as fast as you can get there. Maybe not directly. Like uh, Ricky Weeks from Southern told the told the Brewers, look, I'm going straight to the majors. I'm not doing the minors. Maybe not directly uh, in a situation like that, but but maybe the situation where he's on a fast track. So pretty much guys say if you get to the majors after you're drafted within 24 months, you're a superstar. So this would be year three, which means that 24 month period would have passed. So he would be looking at being the starter center fielder for the Oakland Athletics. Now that puts him. That puts him on a path to where he'd be signing his contract, his big money contract in three years. Starting center fielder, probably looking at $200 million, give or take. 
Now he didn't he didn't go that route. He went the he went the football route. More immediate money. No such thing as a minor league system. Um, they said more immediate money. No such thing as okay. Now I'm up in the majors. Now I have to wait another X amount of years. Nope, none of that. Um, because you're already in the majors, so you got the rookie deal. Then you're supposed to go for broke two twenty two thirty. If you're a Kyler Murray, um, and he, he's looking at a couple things. He's a smaller athlete. He knows I need to secure my money as soon as humanly possible because I'm I'm nicked up every season. I got an ankle. I got a knee. I got a something every season while I'm not walking through it healthy. So I'm gonna try and get as much money as I can as fast as humanly possible. That way I am able to secure my future if something were to go awry. Um, playing football, I still have I still have my future secured. But reportedly, the heirs, uh, Kyler Murray's agent has pulled their offer. So Kyler Murray's agent went to the team. Hey, here do we think it's fair, fam? But clearly the Cardinals didn't think didn't think it was fair because they have not even thrown a counter offer at Kyler Murray, leading to uh, Murray's representation pulling that initial offer off the table, basically saying yesterday's price, not today's price, especially with the ever-growing market surrounding quarterbacks. Um, they basically hit them with the yesterday's price, not today's price, and they are going to um, look for more money. I assume more guaranteed dollars would be the holdup at this point. I don't see anything else that should cause a lot of problems. But as of now, they have not progressed anywhere near a new contract and reportedly going to stuff I am hearing as well. Kyler is not expected to play on this deal. So if they have caught him going to drag it down to the season, Kyler Murray is willing to sit out and not participate with the team until he receives um, what he believes is adequate compensation. In another situation involving contracts and holdouts, the class of 2018 receiving class, um, the non-first round picks are all up for extensions. Debo Samuel, AJ Brown, and Terry McLaurin. Now these are three number one receivers. Uh, two of them are very do-it-all in terms of AJ and uh, and Debo. But even, I mean, I mean to be honest, they all three of them are do-it-all. They all get the ball in a variety of ways. They all three are clearly the number one receivers. The number one, maybe not the number one weapon, um, because AJ Brown's playing with Derrick Henry, so. All of them are not the number one weapon, even though Debo and Scary Terry undeniably are the number one weapons for their team. Um, AJ Brown has Derrick Henry to account for in terms of touches, in terms of plays, in terms of attention away from him when he is uh, playing. But they are all eligible for contract extensions, and Debo, Samuel, AJ Brown are not expected to even report to camp until that deal is completed. Um, definitely a sign of how they view themselves the receiver market is absolutely exploding you see what Devontae adams got you see what christian kirk got you see what any of these um receivers get and so they want they want their piece of the pie want to be compensated adequately and want to continue to um build their personal brands because again those three guys are looking at the receiver market Debo Samuel, top 10 weapon in the league. A.J. Brown, top 10 weapon in the league. Uh, Scary Terry, top 15 weapon in the league. So those guys are looking like, man, these other wide receiver running backs are getting way, way more money than we did. And so um, they're going to sit out, hold out, 
and do everything they can in order to continue to push the envelope forward in terms of pay um, and continue to elevate the pay structure in general. Now, Scary Terry plans on reporting because he's a team captain and he doesn't want to let the team down. It has nothing to do with myself. It has nothing to do with the organization or with anybody else. It is purely um, Scary Terry's decision as a team leader in order to report to camp. Uh, Stephon Gilmore has signed with the Indianapolis Colts on a two-year, $23 million deal with $14 million guaranteed. So I'm basically looking at that as a one-year, $14 million deal, uh, which is pretty solid. He's at that stage of his career. He's a mercenary. Um, what team's going to bid the highest or guarantee money-wise? And he'll just go there. Um, now, he, now, he looks to fit in well. Um, looks to fit in really well in regards to how the um, Colts want to play defense. So he looks like he's going to fit perfectly into that mold. And if that is the case, then they could have a gold mine on their hands in Indianapolis. Um, unfortunately for me personally, outside of the Wentz era, they look like they're going to have a success. Winston have nearly this much help, but it's neither here nor there. You know, he's still got to execute better. He's still got to be Jacksonville, whatever. But the Indianapolis Colts have had a great, I do mean great, uh, offseason so far and they are still um, trying to make moves and trying to maneuver Sammy Watkins is heading to the Green Bay Packers on a one year up to four million dollar deal a very very small deal um, kind of the life you're going to have to live if you're in Aaron Rodgers shadow and that's what the Green Bay Packers are right now they're in Aaron Rodgers sphere of influence his shadow his control by him getting 50 million dollars a year um, you can't really stretch and pull that cap wise, so you're gonna have to deal with it basically every year, which is gonna make um, any book sack you get very, very angry. So, uh, I would keep anything valuable in your book sack. But back to Sammy Watkins, he's a good player if he can stay on the field. Um, and that'll be interesting to watch. Indianapolis, uh, not Indianapolis, I'm sorry. Green Bay tends to not have injury histories. Stuff is freak stuff, like um, Aaron Rodgers popped his collarbone and stuff like that. You know, that's something of that nature. He should be fine. Watkins should be fine in Green Bay. He'll be catching balls from Aaron Rodgers. So if they build some sort of rapport and Aaron trusts him, he's going to be peppering Sammy Watkins' hands a lot. Um. Colin Kaepernick recently talked to the I Am Athlete podcast. Uh, two guys, Brandon Marshall, Chad Otosinko, uh, and there's the third guy on there. Used to be a little bigger. They used to have uh, another guy on there as well. But those they talked to Colin Kaepernick. Uh, I think it comes out tomorrow. The video drops tomorrow, and Kaepernick states that he's willing to be a backup. He said he won't stay there, but he knows he needs to get his foot in the door, so he's willing to be a backup. And that was one of the concerns reported concerns team had with bringing him in was that you dude you've been gone five six years do you expect to walk into a starting job today he uh, he clarified the fact that he knows he's probably gonna have to walk into a backup position and that he is just willing to get his foot in the door and go from there he said get me in the door he'll take it from there was well, pretty much his attitude was that he just needs an opportunity and he will shine uh once he receives it i'm not willing to bet against cap how about you 
Look, he's put his mind everything he wanted to do. He wanted to write. He wanted to do books. He wanted to do stories. He wanted to um, bring light to the issues. He wanted to do a lot of things, and he's accomplishing those wants one by one. So getting back in the NFL, showing teams he can still play is the last thing on his checklist. And I am not willing to bet against Colin Kaepernick. I feel like you should not either. But it's very interesting to hear him say on a national platform that he is willing to be a backup. So um, we've been making an argument for the past five, six years. He's one of the best 32 quarterbacks in the world. We're damn sure making an argument right now. He's he's one of the best 64 quarterbacks in the world. Um, so we're definitely going to keep our eye on that to see if anyone decides to take the plunge on Colin Kaepernick. And the big story outside of the contract drama has been the Baker Mayfield saga. Um, it's should be, it should be nearing its conclusion. Um, but at this current moment, it is not. Uh, mum's the word on Baker. I believe that he may get moved draft day on deals that could already be pending. And the reason why I say this is what if teams, there's not a quarter, very strong quarterback draft. So let's say you're Carolina and you're number nine. If you don't get the guy you want, you're probably going with Sam Darnold. If you're the Seahawks, however, Drew Locke is not good enough. Geno Smith is not good enough. If their heart is sold on Malik Willis, and Malik Willis, for some reason, is gone by the time they pick, do they, de- do they decide we'll trade us two? McCall Cleveland offer him a two for Baker Mayfield and just go with Baker Mayfield for the foreseeable future and build a team around him and go from there. Because that would be a very interesting piece. Uh, Baker Mayfield did not do himself any favors over the past week. He went on a podcast, said he felt disrespected, uh, talked about the fans booing, saying he wished he could go to their cubicle and boo them um, and see how they like it. To me, admitting that not only does he hear the boos, it affects him, which is a very, very bad thing, especially for a quarterback. A, why are you getting booed? B, why are you letting it affect you um, mentally and affect your ability? So two very poor things for a quarterback to have happened to him. Baker Mayfield is suffering both. Um, He's suffering a lack of confidence and he's suffering, to me, a lack of identity. Um, He's trying to manufacture the chip on his shoulder that he lost because when you're doing 20 progressive commercials and you're hailed as this big time guy in Cleveland and yeah, you were the number one pick and 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 um it is really hard to keep that chip on your shoulder so i think he's trying to manufacture it back but he's offering a little bit too much insight into his psyche into his mental state and i think that's something that he needs to clean up um it's over in cleveland baker bashing cleveland on the way out isn't going to help you um he may end up being released at this point which would join him with a very very short painful list of quarterbacks in the modern uh, draft era that did not survive on their original team via uh, contract. So not traded, but were released on their rookie contract before the rookie contract ended by their team that drafted them. Um, would be a very, very short list of guys who have accomplished that dubious feat um, to me, which is like an ultimate sign of ineptitude. And they couldn't even find a partner for you. They ultimately had to cut you. Um, and you were on the phone working your own deals, hoping that someone comes around, which I believe that he's working his own deals now. Um, and the Browns have allowed him to go seek a trade. Um, but as of course their price is what their price is. No one has offered that price. Browns are at the moment 
in no hurry to uh, move him and so they're going to continue asking for um, what they're asking for which I believe is a one last I saw but up next we're going to shift to our best for last which is going to be a discussion or a quick point about the USFL Welcome into the show, and now we're gonna. I'm gonna talk about the USFL. Uh, it debuted USFL what part two? Um, debuted over the weekend, and actually, I think the close to week one is tonight. Um, they're all playing all centrally located games in Birmingham, Alabama, 18 league. I believe it's a seven week regular season, and then the playoffs, or maybe a 10 week regular season in the playoffs, but. They're all playing central location games in Birmingham, Alabama, instead of doing kind of a traveling show, which is something that I enjoyed that the XFL did right when they came out. They went around the country. So if it was D.C., you lived in D.C. Like currently, all the Birmingham, all the players in the USFL live in Birmingham, Alabama. They live together. They play together. They're in the same stadium. Home or away doesn't matter. Like it is, you know, is is a centrally located situation. The XFL um, during 2020. When they were doing it, they were traveling. So the Seattle team played in the Seahawks Stadium. The DC team played um, in the Washington, uh, now Commanders Stadium. Um, the New York team played in the Jets Giant Stadium. Like they were traveling around um, Los Angeles. I forgot where they played. It, I mean, so if I wasn't built yet, were they in the Coliseum? They might have been. I mean, they might have been used to the Rose Bowl, but they traveled around Dallas. Played in the Rangers stadium. They converted the Rangers uh, baseball stadium into a football stadium. And so they uh, continue to try, try, like I said, travel around the country like a true league. There wasn't such a location. USFL is doing such a location year one. I believe they're trying to try and travel year two. They have some cities that XFL doesn't have. Uh, for instance, the XFL did not have a Birmingham team. The USFL does. The XFL did not have a New Orleans team. The USFL does. Um, so I believe in order to make them work, in my opinion, you're going to have to not share so many of the same cities. Yeah, they're going to be in LA. Yeah, it's going to be in New York. Yeah, it's going to be a DC, Seattle, whatever. But I'm saying the bigger city, sure. But like, don't have two Birmingham teams. Don't have two New Orleans teams. New Orleans loves football. Louisiana loves football. But like, put one in Baton Rouge or something. Like, Spread the teams out if you're going to do spring football, but spring football is going to work. There's too many football fans that love it. The NFL is constantly providing us with loads of talent and now the talent staying longer. When now the talent staying longer, the youth talent, the next wave, is going to have to find somewhere to land. And that is where a USFL and the XFL, especially the XFL being pretty closely aligned these days with the NFL, is going to be the way to go because now those guys are gonna have to put tape together um the nfl is the only league in the world in the in american major sports that doesn't have a feeder system um 
the MLB has the minors, the NBA has G League, uh, the MLS pretty much has non-MLS soccer. Uh, soccer is a weird one, it doesn't really count. So when you have a system like that, when you had no system really uh, for the NFL to have tape, you went to college, you didn't get drafted, that was pretty much it. Uh, you didn't have, I mean, unless you went to Canada, but then you went to Canada, you were stuck two years. So you played really well your first year, no NFL team could touch you because you were stuck for two years in Canada. So now people can make the choice, okay, I'm going to go to the USFL, I'm going to go to the XFL, and I'm going to uh, play there and get game tape. Now, the USFL wasn't the best basketball, wasn't the best football. It was week one. Those guys have been together three weeks. Think about it, when, you, when you see the NFL, they're open, they opened what? Strategic camp a few weeks ago. But let's say teams really, really get into it um, after the draft. So let's say May. Teams really, really get into it. Well, you don't see them play a game, even preseason, until August. Games, first game that matters, and now people know what no one's playing in August. So the first game that matters was September. September is the ninth month. May is the fifth month. So you see them three, four months of practice, of learning the playbook, of learning each other, of being in shape and all the other stuff, being in football workout shape. The guys in the USFL were working out and they were training, but they were working real jobs. They were three weeks ago not football players you know like i mean three weeks ago they were not professional football players they were drafted sure they were on contract sure but they weren't training and hitting and everything a professional football player would be doing and they also weren't getting the continuity of teammates they've been together three weeks so one of the things you see often one of the things you see very often is you see um and you see very often is that you see poor offensive line play. You saw that in the AAF when they did spring football. You saw that in the XFL early. You're seeing in the USFL, poor offensive line play because offensive line is the one unit that needs a lot of continuity. Quarterback to receiver, okay. Defensive line, not really. Linebackers and safeties and corners are kind of ISO players. The offensive line, everything they do is a unit. So. The left tackle needs to know where the left guard is going to be on this stunt. Who needs to know where the center is going to be if he misses? Who needs to know where the right guard is going to be? You're going to step over his foot. Everything they do is one big dance for the offensive line. A whole lot of dancing bears. And if you don't have that continuity, you're going to get beat. So we're seeing a lot of easy, clean sacks. Like I was watching uh, one of the games, and the team was running a 3-3-5, an odd front. And... The tackle, the guard, and the running back all went to block the edge, and the delayed blitz linebacker runs the quarterback into a sack. I mean, no one even looked at him because continuity-wise, it was thrown off. And you've seen that in a couple of interceptions thrown. Um, a, they weren't the best decisions, but B, he was expecting the uh, same game. The guy was expecting the quarterback, McBloff, McGloff, Magoo, Magoo, was expecting the quarterback, was expecting the tight end to bend across the safety's face. He throws an anticipatory throw. The tight end doesn't stem it. He keeps going straight. It's a easy. I mean, it goes right to the safety uh, interception. So you just saw stuff like that. Chemistry. Um, every they're not to say that every single coach kept saying they wish they had 24 more hours, 24 more hours because they only had three weeks with these teams trying to put together starters, rotation, 
plays. I mean, I'm assuming plays were given once the team got signed, but plays, starters, uh, continuity, especially like I said, positions like offensive line, which the whole thing is a big continuity uh, piece. So that was very interesting. But all in all, spring football will work. It will be enough football to go around when the XFL joins in 2023 uh, under new under new logo and new leadership. And it's going to be a very fun time for football loving fans as you will have the NFL drama along with actual football with the XFL and the USFL. But that is all we oh, oh, oh by the way, by the way, the USFL drew three million viewers on average. Um that's huge. That's a very good response. That's higher than the AAF for sure. Uh, when they came in, the AAF I think it was only like two million dollars. And two million people, and most of that was a Johnny Manziel's game. Um, and then the XFL drew pretty well. I can't remember the exact number, but they drew pretty well as, as also. But three million views with a peak, I think, of 3.4, 3.5. I would love to see the number tonight. Their Monday night, Monday night football. We hadn't had that in five, six months. Um, so Monday night football will be very interesting to see. It'll be butting up against the NBA playoffs. But if you're a true football fan, you'll figure it out, kind of thing. So. I'll be very interested to see the number that comes out of tonight. But that is all we have for today. Um, I hope you guys thoroughly enjoyed this show. I'm enjoying doing this with you guys every week. It gets me, it gets me excited. It gets me going. It gives me something to not only look forward to, but it gives me an opportunity to share my knowledge that I'm sure my wife now does not want to hear as much. So I get to tell it to you guys and we can have uh, some fun together. Next week will be the mock draft. Will be the official Justin Time Sports recorded mock drafts so this will be the mock draft that i write down i remember um that after the draft i go and compare okay what happened this person this team picked that person yada 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 um if there's a big trade that happens before we will do another one so you know teams like the saints and the eagles did that massive pick trade if there's something like that i'm gonna do the show next monday the mock draft show next monday plus nba playoff stuff um but if another big trade like that happens you know friday then we'll i mean the draft is thursday i believe um next thursday it sounds incredibly familiar hold on i'm actually getting uh my guy to look it up now uh when the draft is um he's being slow hold on guys he is looking it up now. So it begins April 28th. So like I said, the show will be April 25th. So that Thursday is the 28th, the first round. You know, two through four, then five through seven. Um, so if, if a trade goes down big Wednesday, then we'll do a show next Wednesday. We'll do an updated one next Wednesday. But as it's right now, April 25th will be the official mock draft. Obviously, the NFL draft will be Monday. I mean, will be the next Thursday. And then we'll compare and contrast uh, on the first show in may how what what, what went down and how um but again the official mock draft is next monday so keep your eye out for that uh tell your friends to get that ready uh you kind of can win some money um with who's being the first pick and all these other prop bets etc but that is all we have for today uh this is your host justin jackson don't forget to follow the social media handle at jtime sports along with um like rating and subscribing to the Justin Time Sports podcast on iTunes and Spotify. Now, I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. This is your host, Justin Jackson, signing out.